This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Before we get started with today's episode of Get Booked, we wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com slash audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we're giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 182, and we are recording on May 21st. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot and my jet lag. Hello. Oh, no. <laughs> what day is it, Jen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's I'm recording being... day. It's reco- exactly. It's the day that I record the Get Booked podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I got back from London on Sunday night, and I my body clock is like sort of there. Like, I'm not five hours off. I'm more like two hours off, which is oh, not... Yeah, it's not the worst, but it's also not the best. So how are you? I am fine. (laughs) I'm fine. Sharifa, who y'all heard last week while Jen was on vacation, uh, was, I guess, the managing editor of Book Riot, is out for the rest of the month on vacation. So I don't know what's happening in my life because our managing editor's not here. So it's just, it's a very confusing day. I too don't know what day it is or what's happening. Right. I was going to say, nobody knows what day it is here at Book Riot. It's fine. We'll get through it. The show's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I have books to talk about that I definitely remember the names of. So it's going to be super fun. (laughs) Welcome to the struggle bus. Okay, so how (laughs) this show works when we're doing it right is we give reading recommendations to you who have written in asking for them. You can ask for a recommendation for a book like a favorite that has left a hole in your heart. You can ask for recommendations for your book club or for a friend or family member or for travel or whatever. And you can send us those requests either via email It's getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that is in the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, you're hoping to get a response back by a particular date, please do let us know that date in real big letters, write time-sensitive, and the day that you're hoping to get it back by, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, we will do our best. If we think we're not going to get back to you before then on air, we might email you a response, or if you've asked a question that we've answered a couple times, we might email you about that as well. So keep an eye out for those. Okay, Amanda is going to read our first question and tell us about first sponsor, and then we will talk about some books. All right, our first question is from Paige, who says, I'm looking for a book to recommend for my book club. Traditionally, we just draw from a book jar of other recommendations that we've done and let the fates decide. But for the last four months, we've had a member pick three books and we picked from there. 
Well, uh, we've read a lot of serious books in that time, which included Circe, The Outsiders, and Big Red Tequila, which, while not as heavy as the others, was still a crime thriller, so the humor wasn't all that heavy. Um, the current pick is All the Light We Cannot See, which sounds great, but again, heavy and serious. Yes, it is. So I think we're going to need a bit of a humor break. We've read our fair share of that, such as Let's Pretend This Never Happened and How to Make White People Laugh, so books in that vein will work. Most of us do books on a budget, though, so backlists are great as well. Okay, um, it's a bit time-sensitive. Okay, you don't need to know how time-sensitive it is. We're getting it in time. That's all that matters. So our first sponsor, before we get to funny book club books, is, what is it? Kingsbane by Claire Legrand. Ooh, I'm excited about this one. So this one is the sequel to Furyborn. Uh, Furyborn was the first book in the Imperium trilogy. It was a huge, like, instant New York Times bestseller. Like, Entertainment Wingley called it one of the best new YA fantasies. Um, Claire Legrand is an, a super accomplished writer. She's already written nine books and gotten, like, starred reviews and all that fancy stuff. So book two in the Imperium trilogy, which is Kingsbane, has more magic, more action, world building, and, of course, more kissy faces, more romance. <laughs> Yay. So in <laughs> Kissy Faces, so in Kingsbane, Riel has been anointed the Sun Queen, but her trials are like, you know, just beginning, as they usually do in book two. Um, the gate keeping the angels at bay is falling, so to repair it, she's got to collect these seven hidden castings of the saints. And then centuries later, Eliana is grappling with her new reality of being the Sun Queen. You know, humanity is like a long-awaited savior, um, but fear of corruption and becoming another Riel keeps her power like super dangerous and unpredictable. So there's a lot, like kind of like... Game of Thronesy political intrigue kind of elements happening here. Um, of course, super fantastical magical elements, and as I said before, kiss faces. So go check that out, King's Bane by Claire Legrand. If you've not read the first book, it is called Furyborn. Of course, you can go buy that wherever. Thank you for sponsoring the show. I'm gonna keep going. So my first selection, and my only selection, is uh, so close to being the shit y'all don't even know by Retta, which I love so much and really recommend if you're if anyone in your book club does audiobooks listening to this on audio is amazing so retta um is you know in parks and rec i don't feel like i need to explain who she is she's a star one of the stars of um the show parks and recreation and this is a memoir of her growing up uh she was the daughter of like really hard working parents from liberia and she was supposed to quote you know go to medical school and become this very successful you know child of immigrants and after she graduated she decided she didn't want to do that what she wanted to do was become Lucille Ball and go to Hollywood and get her own sitcom. So she enters, so she does that. She like decides she's not going to medical school and instead goes to Hollywood. Um, she wins one of Comedy Central's stand-up competitions and that, and then, as you know, becomes one of the um, cast members of Parks and Rec. But in between that, there are a lot of opportunities opportunities that she passes up because she's scared. So, like, she is invited to audition for, oh, what was that movie with Beyonce and Dreamgirls? Dreamgirls. Right? Yes. She's invited to audition for Dreamgirls, and there's, like, a whole reason why she doesn't go do it. And um, you get all of these stories of, like, her trying to work to, like, battle imposter syndrome in Hollywood and also overcome stage fright, which you never think of, like, actors and stand-up comedians having, but they do, and she did. Um, and in between there, she's got a lot of really hilarious stories about, you know, uh, being on the set of Parks and Recreation, sort of half-stalking Michael Fassbender a little bit, which, like, who wouldn't? Dealing with trolls on Twitter, that kind of stuff. So it's a really super funny book, but also especially audiobook. And there's a lot, I think, to talk about in here as far as uh, women dealing with, like, really talented, legitimately talented, hardworking women who, like, no matter how successful they get, still deal with that um, imposter syndrome. 
I think that's a pretty relatable topic. So that's so close to being the shit y'all don't even know by Retta. I've got to get to that. It's been on my list for forever. It's so good. Predictably funny. (laughs) I was just going to say, I also do need her to read it to me. Okay, so my pick for you is fiction. It is My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. And I love this for a book club book because it is so silly, but also there's a lot of layers that you could get into with it. So it is a retelling of Lady Jane Grey, the like queen for a day basically uh who got beheaded and whatnot uh back in the day you know and she in this retelling the war this sort of civil unrest that's going on in england is between people who can shapeshift into animals and people who can't as opposed to being like protestant versus catholic so already we've got a little fantastical elements here. And in this reimagining, she doesn't die immediately. She and her new husband, Gifford, escape. And they find out who has animal transformation powers, including Gifford, who turns into a horse. And and King Edward uh, doesn't die. Uh, he manages to escape and they all go off and have adventures. So it's like a historical retelling with shapeshifters and so many comedic moments. It's so silly, y'all. Like, it really is kind of silly. And it's just delightful because it has all the trappings of historical British fiction, but it takes them in these really bizarre fun directions. And I think that even if you don't know anything about Lady Jane Grey, you're fine. Like, that's kind of not the point of this book. It is not educational. Uh, If you do know a bit about British history, which I do, I think it's really fun because you're like, oh, right. Like what, you know, trying to match up what actually happened versus what happens in this book and seeing where they changed the things and how they recharacterized certain historical figures in these really hysterical ways was just so much fun. And if you have somebody in book club who is a history nerd, they could do like a little presentation about like, okay, here's the actual facts. And then you could compare and contrast. And also, I just think it is such a fun read. It's been out for a while, so there's plenty of them available from the library. And yeah, it's it's really just really enjoyable. It's also the first in a series of historical rewrites. So if you like it, there is more. So again, that's My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. Okay, next question is from Hillary, who says, I'm in a bit of a reading rut right now and would love some help. Lately, I have mostly just been reading romance, fantasy, or young adult and want to mix it up but don't know where to begin. I love anti-heroes, fast-moving plots, realistic relationships between characters, and a healthy smattering of jokes. I try very hard to read only books by women and or people of color, so if you could recommend something that sticks to that, it would be deeply appreciated. What you got for this one, Amanda? Jokes, jokes. I don't have jokes. I have a book. It's called Bone Shaker. (laughs) What? No jokes. No joke. My book is called Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. It's the first book in the Clockwork Century series, but every book in that series is from the different, like, point of view of a different character. So, like, obviously you can continue to read them if you like the first one, but it's not a continuation of the first story, if that makes sense. So I kind of, I I picked this one because it has an anti-hero, a fast-moving plot, and realistic relationships between characters, so I thought it would be a good fit. This is steampunk, and it takes place in the early days of the Civil War. 
in the Pacific Northwest, Northwest in Seattle specifically. And it's about a woman named Briar with a teenage boy who is like just trying to survive. She's got a really terrible job. She has a terrible reputation. And that is because her husband, who is dead, his name was Leviticus, um, during the gold rush was hired by Russian prospectors to create a machine that would mine through the ice of Alaska to help them, you know, access more what they thought would be more gold. And while he is building this machine, uh, what she calls the incredible bone-shaking drill engine, um, it accidentally destroys several blocks of Seattle and releases this underground vein of gas that turns people into zombies. So that part of Seattle has been walled off, although people do still live there. Um, And it's assumed that Leviticus is dead. Some people assume that he did it on purpose because the engine ended up underneath a bank. So they thought he was using it to like rob the bank. And so Briar has to deal with like raising a son by herself. Also, there are zombies, though they live outside the wall. So they're not dealing with the zombies in their everyday life. Um, But also like everyone in their community kind of hating her a little bit because they, why didn't you know? And how did you, were you an accomplice and all this kind of stuff? And so 16 years after that happens, she's got this kid, but then her, her kid, her teenage boy decides that like these rumors about his father cannot be true. Obviously his father was like a good and moral man. So he goes into Seattle where the zombies are, um, to go to the house where he was born and where his parents lived when they were married, um, and where like the engine still sits to get proof and, you know, clear his father's name. And so for the rest of the book, Briar is chasing him down, essentially. Like, she goes into Seattle um, behind the wall to try to find him and save him from what is inevitable zombie demise. So it's super fun. And the relationship between the mom and this kid is so real. Like, my kids are only eight. I don't I don't have teenage boys. But I have had foster children. And, like, the way that he talks to her and the way in which he just assumes that she is the stupidest person to ever have walked the earth <laughs> in the way that teenagers can be told nothing, right? Like they, they know all the things, you know, none of the things. And that's the end of that story. And, but like, he does, he's not a mean or obnoxious child. It's just very true to life um, and super fun. And the steampunk aspects are really interesting. Like the, the way that her characters who are to a man, poor, like living in poverty, um, use science and engineering to solve the problems of their everyday lives, especially the ones who still live behind the wall and have to deal with the gas and all of their neighbors who are zombies. So zombie steampunk civil war. Yay. It's great. So that's Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. I picked a middle grade book that I just read and am a little bit obsessed with. It's The Storm Runner by J.C. Cervantes, which is part of the Rick Riordan Presents line, which I cannot recommend highly enough. It is all kinds of different authors of color taking different mythologies and writing like fun, fantastical series about those. So this one is based on Mayan mythology. So excellent. And the main character, Zane, is I think he's just turning 13 and he lives in New Mexico out in the middle of nowhere with his dog, Rosie, and his mom. And he has like a short leg and got bullied a lot at school, as you might expect. And so he's been homeschooled for the past year. But his mom is going to make him go back to school. They found this private school. He got accepted. He's like has to go back, even though he really doesn't want to. Like all he wants to do is like stomp around the Nevada wilderness and 
uh, or excuse me, the New Mexico wilderness, like I said earlier. And there's like a dormant volcano in his backyard that he likes to hike around and have adventures with his dog and learn things at his own pace. But like mom says, no, go back to school. So his first day back at school, of course, he gets sent to the principal's office because some kids are being jerks and he's not going to take it. And while he's waiting to get yelled at, a girl sits down next to him and informs him that he is the subject of a prophecy and is going to release an evil god from an ancient Mayan relic unless she helps him not fulfill the prophecy. Sure. Right, sure. Like, that's what happens <laughs> when you go to the principal's office. <laughs> totally. Uh, and so hijinks ensue, as you might imagine. And there's shapeshifters and ogres and, like, a surfing sea goddess and all kinds of awesome stuff. And I picked this one for you because it is a fast-moving plot. It's so fun. There's so many jokes. Like, it is like very intentionally humorous in really enjoyable ways, much like the Percy Jackson series uh, by Rick Riordan. And, but it has its own spin on things. And I really loved the relationships between these characters. Zane's got like a Lucha Libre wrestling loving uncle and his relationship with his mom is really sweet, but also very like, you know, got like you were just saying like teenagers, like Ugh, mom's like, telling you to do things and they don't know anything um and he doesn't know who his dad is so there's this whole journey of discovery and i just tore through it it was so much fun and it was so like there's something about middle grade like well done middle grade fiction that is so engrossing and so restful to the brain so i find that when i'm in a reading rut like it is a really good place to go so i think you will super enjoy it the second book in the series comes out in september so you don't have that long to wait if you do like it uh so so again, that's The Storm Runner by J.C. Cervantes. Alrighty. Question three is from Sephra, who says, I'm a grad student in experimental psych, so I read a lot of scientific papers and books. When I relax, I love to read light and easy YA, but I also love books that have some depth to them. I'm one of those people who never got over Harry Potter, since it's easy for me to read, but there are always new little details to discover. I've also read and enjoyed The Hunger Games, Divergent, The Ugly Series, etc., but none of them quite stood up to Harry Potter for me. However, I recently found the Books of Babel series by Josiah Bancroft and absolutely fell in love with them. I've also been voraciously reading everything by Maureen Johnson. While I'm loving the Maureen Johnson, I prefer things like Books of Babel that have a little more so uh, sociological and psychological depth to them. I also love books like 1984 and Invisible Man, but I don't have the mental energy to devote to books that are too heavy. For me, Josiah Bancroft hit the perfect balance of ease and depth. What would you recommend? Okay, I picked The Lies of Lacklemora by Scott Lynch. It's not YA, but neither are the Books of Babel books, so I thought that was fine. Um, and I picked this one because it is super easy to read, but also about, it has ease and depth. Like, it's, it's dealing with big, um, ideas and also super intricate Ocean's Eleven type heist plots. But at no point are you asked to do, like, tons and tons of work as a reader. So this is a really high fantasy novel that takes place on a, like, different planet that is kind of modeled after like 15th century Italy, like Venice. That's, that's the feeling that you're getting from this. It's very, you know, oh, oh gosh, what's the opening line of Romeo and Juliet? Man, that was going to be such a good moment for me. And then I just forgot it. It just went out of my head. <laughs> Two houses, both alike in dignity. Is that it? Thank you. In, in fair, fair Verona, Verona, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> It's very like fair Verona, blah, 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 is what it is. Um, and the main character, Lacklemora, is an orphan. And he lives on an island city called Comor. And, you know, in a very Dickensian fashion, the life of an orphan in this universe is not easy. He's probably going to end up sold into slavery or dead or some or starving or something like that. But he gets taken under the... Um, 
care and tutelage of a headmaster thief, also in very Dickensian fashion, who is posing as a priest in one of the temples in the city. And so he's trained in how to be a pickpocket and things like that. And the the head thief takes in several orphan boys and one girl, but she doesn't show up until the next book. And they they form this band of brothers who of thieves called the Gentleman Bastards. And soon, you know, Locke grows up, he becomes an adult, uh, and he's like infamous in the underworld and all of that. But then a big, you know, a big heist comes into into play and I don't want to like get into the details of the heist because it doesn't matter it's a super fun heist and it goes all the way up to like royalty and government and this like poor well he's not poor anymore because he's been stealing for several years and he only robs from the rich it's very Robin Hood um this band of underworld kind of street rats has to take on these really really powerful members of the nobility and also there are killer sharks like there's a whole gladiator scene where you have to where like people have to fight each other on these tiny little pillars of wood floating in a bay where there are killer <laughs> sharks and like the sharks jump out of the water it's just it's so <laughs> great killer freaking shark <laughs> but it's not it's not cheesy it's like you're reading this and you're like i totally believe these killer sharks are terrifying like this is very impressive killer sharks romeo and juliet heist go read it so that's the lies of la camorra <laughs> by scotland it's a very particular venn diagram <laughs> it is one that i have never it's not quite like anything i've ever read before amazing uh one of these days i'm actually gonna read them you've been talking to me about them for years on this show They're so fun. and other They're people so obviously but... there are no women which drives me nuts but yeah yeah it's like just super fun <laughs> Well, if Scrappy Teens is also a subgenre, I have one for you. It is The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. And I love it's a novella. It's short, which makes me sad just because it's so good. But it's also so good. So how sad can I be? Uh, and it is about a teenager named Creeper, who also is a street rat living on the streets of New Orleans. Actually, I have an unintentional theme. This is also historical inspired fantasy. But in this one, the path of revolutions in the United States and other territories has kind of taken a different turn. Haiti is a free island. The United States is divided up into these weird like confederacy union and then neutral places at the moment. And New Orleans is in a neutral place, but there are slave states still in this re-envisioning. And there's also some like steampunky stuff going on and creeper really wants to become an airship sailor smuggler obviously who doesn't want to be an airship sailor smuggler and so she is trying to figure out you know how she can make that happen and she overhears a plot involving some kind of special something she doesn't know exactly what but she hears the information and it could threaten a bunch of the political situations that are going on in this alternate history. And so she knows that this is super valuable information. And so she's going to sell it and she has to find the right person to sell it to. And shows she decides there's this one captain who she decides is the perfect person to sell this information to. It's a smuggler captain. And so she goes and in the process of like trying to sell this information gets involved in this whole intense 
adventure. And the next level up of this is that Creeper is sort of a host, I guess is the right word, to uh, goddess Oya, uh, who is an African Orisha of wind and storms and like talks to her and gives her some powers sometimes. But they have a like, you know, sort of complicated relationship because Creeper also wants to be her own person and not just a vehicle for this goddess. So that's complicated. And there are these weird nuns and like there are so many interesting fascinating characters and like you said with Harry Potter like every time I've gone back to it there there's new little details that jump out at me that are so cool the world building is so interesting and this alternate version of America is so interesting and Creeper is such a great character all the characters are great. And I just thought it was so engrossing and so much fun. And it's, it is bigger on the inside, like the TARDIS. Like it doesn't feel like it's only a hundred pages. It feels so much bigger than that. Uh, and I think you'll really enjoy it. It definitely hits a lot of the things that you're interested in. So again, that's The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. All right. The next question is from Ray, who says, I'll be traveling to Vienna and Stockholm for the first time in July to visit some friends. I've never been, so I'm hoping you could recommend some books set in these cities that have a strong sense of place where the city itself is a character. I'm open to most genres except horror. I'm a scaredy cat of the highest order. I feel you. Uh, and I'm generally a reluctant YA reader. I also haven't been able to muster up any interest in Stieg Larsson's books, but if you tell me they fit the bill, I will be game to give it a go. Thanks so much. All right, what do you got, Amanda? I don't think Stieg Larsson's books were fit. They don't take place in the city much. Like, they're in mm. an island. Most of the action is, like, on an island off the coast of Sweden. So, like, if you're not interested in those books, you can skip them. So I picked The Serious Game by Hjalmar Soderberg, and it's translated by Eva Clayson. And this was published in 1912, but stick with me. <laughs> um, and it was written in, like, the early 1800s. But it is so great. So it takes place in Sweden at the turn of the century, and Arvid is a young man who is the main character. And he's born in, like, a little village in Sweden, and he moves to Stockholm to, like, make his fortune, you know, and, like, be an adult. And that thing that people do when they move to the big city to, like, do the thing. And while he's there, he meets a woman named Lydia, who is the daughter of, like, a really famous landscape painter. And during, like, a really nice summer, they fall for each other. And Lydia is very interested in getting married. Like, they make each other very happy. But Ar uh, Arvid is like, but I don't have money for that noise. So how about no? He just kind of turns her down because he doesn't know when he's going to have money to support a family. And she's got other suitors and a lot of prospects, so he doesn't want to, like, string her along and have her wait some God knows how long uh, for him. So they move on. Uh, she goes, she's, like, obviously very upset, um, and she, on a whim, uh, marries a rich older man, and knowing that, like, she's trapping herself in this horrible prison of a marriage, um, but she'll be secure. And then Arvid gets kind of duped into getting married himself, and he is involved in this pretty loveless, but, like, normal-ish, quote-unquote, domestic kind of marriage, where they, like, make babies and eat dinner, and then they go to bed, that sort of thing. Um, and then ten years later, in the city, they meet each other uh, through, like, a chance, and start a secret affair. All affairs are secret? That's redundant. They start an affair. And so you would think that this is like a, are they going to make it? Will they, won't they? Like kind of a love story, but it's really not. It's a foregone conclusion from the time they re-meet re um, that it's not going to work out. Like they're both obviously really unhappy. And as much as they feel like their feelings from 10 years ago are going to carry them through, like that, it's not a spoiler that it's not going to work. So the book is more about watching these two characters like navigate Stockholm and also 
fall apart a little bit and figure out their own personal motivations for continuing this relationship, even though they haven't seen each other in a decade. Obviously, who you are when you're like 20 and who you are when you're 30 is completely different. So what like what itch are they really trying to scratch by getting back together? So it's a really thoughtful and kind of quiet examination of the motivation of two people who keep whose paths that keep crossing. Um, so yeah, so it's The Serious Game by Hjalmar Soderberg, and it's translated by Eva Clayson. All right, I took Vienna, and I found more historical fiction. I didn't <laughs> do it on purpose, I swear. It's just what's happening. A series for you. I accidentally started with the second book and only realized it when I was like 100 pages in, but who cares? It's classic gen. Um, it's the CC series by Alison Pataki, and this is like a Philippa Gregory, Sharon K. Penman kind of situation about the Empress Elizabeth of Austria-Hungary, who was like the Princess Diana of her time and she was married at a young age to emperor franz joseph who was a Habsburg, and like you know like a very young age like i think she was like 15 or something like that and so yeah so she's thrown into the vienna court politics and you know uh, Franz Joseph's mother was Sophie was this very imposing figure. So she like is struggling to figure out how she's going to be a wife to her emperor husband, like how to deal with this really domineering mother-in-law and then all of the court politics of Vienna. And in this, so that's like the first book is her sort of trying to figure that stuff out as a young woman and, you know, having babies and not getting to like, do anything, do you have the rearing of them and, you know, try to figure out where she belongs at court and how her marriage is going to turn out. Spoiler, not great. Uh, <laughs> and then the second book, which is the one I started, is her sort of later when she's sort of taken things into her own hands and helped negotiate a, this is real, helped negotiate a treaty that made Austria and Hungary a dual monarchy. So now she's the Empress of Hungary. And this was to keep the monarchy in place because at this time in history, you know, the 19th century, monarchies are being toppled all over the place. You've got Napoleon and, you know, the Prussians and like Bismarck and all of this stuff going on. So she's at the crux of a really interesting time in history. And this is very sort of, it's not heavy historical fiction at all. Like it's, it's got a little bit of that fluffy gossipy feel to it. So it moves pretty quickly and you're just following her as she tries to figure out like how she's going to deal with all of this exhausting political machinations and be a, a person in her own right, but also a mother and an empress and all of these things. And Vienna really is a character in the story. You get this. She doesn't love it, actually. She much prefers Budapest. So you get this sort of outsider view of Vienna, but she's there during the world exhibition. And, you know, there's these great descriptions of all of the things that they built for that and, you know, what the courts was like. And I think that it will definitely give you a sense of place, which you're asking for, but also be just generally fun vacation reading. So that is my recommendation for you. Probably you should start with the first book, I guess. You can start with the second if you feel like it. Um, and again, that's the CC series. The first one is called The Accidental Empress, and the second is called Empress on Her Own, and that is by Alison Pataki. 
And still me. It's time for our next sponsor, which is Birthday by Meredith Russo, sponsored by Flatiron Books. And you might recall that Meredith Russo is the author of If I Was Your Girl, which was the winner of the ALA Stonewall Book Award. And this is a heart-wrenching and universal story of identity, first love, and fate, which if you have read Russo before, you'll perhaps not be surprised by that description. Uh, it's six years of birthdays, which is a really interesting plot structure. And these birthdays reveal Eric and Morgan's destiny as they come together, drift apart, fall in love, and discover who they're meant to be and if they're meant to be together. So these two teenagers, Eric and Morgan, as you might guess, they we meet them specifically specifically on each of their birthdays uh, as their relationship develops and unfolds and push me, pull you, et cetera, et cetera. So if you love contemporary YA fiction, this is one you're probably going to want to check out. Again, that's Birthday by Meredith Russo, sponsored by Flatiron Books. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Question five is from Valerie, who says, after going through several life changes, I'm finding myself questioning everyone I used to be so sure of. Religion, politics, family, relationships, I'm changing my mind and beliefs on all of them. This is very unsettling, to say the least. Do you have any recommendations for me? Perhaps memoirs of people who have walked this particularly confusing path. No fiction, please. Okay, what you need is Cheryl Strayed. This yeah. is what you need in your life. So I am recommending Tiny Beautiful Things, Advice on Love and Life from Dear Sugar, which I'm. we haven't talked about, surprisingly, on this show for like... Not once this whole year, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we used to talk about it so much, we were giving it a break. But it's back. Yeah, we had to give it a cap on how many times we could recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this book was the reason we instituted the cap, actually. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, so Cheryl Strait, who is most famous for writing her memoir, Wild, um, was secretly Sugar, who is, an, uh, you know, obviously a pen name uh, for an anonymous online advice column at The Rumpus. Um, and of course, that was eventually revealed to be Cheryl Strait. And then after she wrote Wild, The Rumpus put together this uh, series, this like, collection of um, her advice column to publish in a book. And so, Tiny Beautiful Things, oh, it, it does include never-before-published stuff, but there's a new introduction from, by Steve Almond, who is amazing. Um, but there are, there is something in this book for every life thing, like anything. Like, I, <laughs> it's hard to articulate how helpful, even the ones that don't necessarily apply to you will somehow apply to you, because Cheryl Strait is such an excellent writer. She's such a universal, compassionate she has such a universal and compassionate perspective that questions about like, you know, I'm not getting along with my mother anymore. What should I do? She makes this, she makes that somehow about like getting along with, you know, the family of humanity. It's just brilliant and amazing. And when I was going through my divorce, I read this book, I think three times, like the first couple of months that I, um, after we had split up and it wasn't even just the essays about, you know, ending a relationship, but everyone who writes, who wrote to sugar, and every essay in this book is is a person who's at some kind of like crossroads or is dealing with some sort of confusion or they're in a situation where they don't know what to do next or they know what they want to do um, but need reassurance that it's right or that it isn't. Everyone is questioning in this book. Why else would you write to an advice columnist, right? And her answers are just full of compassion and grace and room for you to figure it out on your own. So that's Tiny Beautiful Things by Charles Strait. Yes, cosine. And the other one you need is Brene Brown. <laughs> you get a Brene Brown wreck and you get a Brene Brown wreck. It's Braving the Wilderness is the one I think that most applies to this situation. And this one is, I think, 
my favorite of her books. And it is very specifically about living in a polarized world where we have to do this work of figuring out what we believe. And it's really complicated and really hard because so many of us are coming from, like you, situations where we have been part of a community or a family or of a relationship that was predicated on believing certain things. And when you come to realize maybe you don't believe in those things anymore, what does that mean for those relationships and what does it mean for you? And this is literally the thing that she's talking about. Uh, She's talking about finding true belonging. And she doesn't mean like submerging yourself into a community or a relationship. She means like finding your true path and then space for that in your relationships and in the world around you. And she talks to people who have left very strong communities that they really identified with and, you know, what that was like. And she unpacks all of these things around how do we know where our moral compass is pointing us and how do we differentiate ourselves and how can we can we preserve any of those relationships? Like sometimes yes, sometimes no. And how do we know which one it is? And it's all about having that sort of internal fortitude to find where it is that you actually want to be and not let the dismay or confusion or, you know, in some cases, anger of those people who you're moving away from, you know, change what it is that you're trying to stand for. So it's really, really, really good. And I think it will give you a lot of ways to think about your situation and like tools to help you move through this. So again, that's Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. Okay, our next question is from Kirsten, who says, I'm an English teacher, and I read so much with my kids at school that I've lost touch with reading for fun recently. Instead, numbing my brain with Netflix as soon as I get home, I'd love to find a book or two that gets me excited again. A few of my favorite books are The Phantom Tollbooth, The Little Prince, Don Quixote, and The Magic Mountain. You have very interesting taste. Kirsten. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting list. I love it. Uh, I also love The Dark Sardonic Wit of Dorothy Parker, and I'm currently enjoying The Lonesome Bodybuilder. I'd prefer adult fiction or middle grade. I'm not anti-YA, but I spend enough time with angst-riddled teens at work that I'd like something different at home. <laughs> I feel you. Uh, I'm going to stop talking for a minute, Amanda. All right. Um, I picked You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine by Alexandra Kleeman because... I think that you're an Eng- okay. So if you're an English teacher who wants to get excited about reading again, I think that something that's a little bit experimental, which the Lonesome Bodybuilder definitely is, um, would be kind of the way to go because you appreciate the craft behind what's going into the book. And you two can have a body like mine is bananas. It's just it's so experimental. I think most people would probably describe it as absurdist. Um, and it is super, super witty, not as straightforwardly witty as Dorothy Parker is, but you will absolutely get the jokes. So this is, a, it's so, it's so weird. It's like hard to describe. It's a novel in which a, a woman who doesn't have a name, I think the characters in the book call her A, lives in an unnamed city. She's got a roommate who was called B. She has a boyfriend who, whose name is C. Um, and they are like, you're like watching while they live their life, but in this very, odd version of American life where everything is like two clicks off. So she watches TV, but she watches commercials. She doesn't like watch shows. She watches commercials. She gets really obsessed with these cartoon escapades of a mascot for a chemical dessert company. Um, and then while all of this is happening, like she's going to work, she's a, she's a part-time job in a cubicle. Um, and she's like, you know, having a relationship with her boyfriend. Her roommate is trying to 
make herself into A. So it's kind of a little bit of like a single white female thing there. Um, And then the neighbors who are across the street disappear one day. Like they walk down the street in sheets like they're ghosts. And they have written some weird stuff on their garage door as an ex- like an explanation of why they're essentially ghosting their lives. Um, and so A gets like really obsessed about finding out what happened to them. The, all of this sounds like nonsense because it is nonsense. Like it's a really pointed, absurdist take on millennial American life, basically. Um, and it's just brilliant. Like it's not the kind of novel that's for everyone, but The Lonesome Bodybuilder isn't either. So I think if you like that, you will definitely... Pick up what Kleeman's putting down over here. So that's You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine by Alexandra Kleeman. Yeah, I also got stuck on that Lonesome Bodybuilder mention because I loved that collection too. So weird. Mm -hmm. Less body horror, but equally inventive is my pick for you, Sooner or Later, Everything Falls into the Sea by Sarah Pinsker. And this is more short stories. So like you can read one and then go watch some Netflix and it's totally fine. Uh, And you don't have to sit down and like pour yourself into a novel. You can pick this up and put it down. And I read this on vacation and I loved it so much. It is a really interesting sort of I think sci-fi more than fantasy, but also sort of speculative magical realism would also apply. It shifts around a little bit. And it has all of these fascinating sort of like some of them are just little scenes, you know, really. And some of them are much longer and have a plot. But all of these short stories have some really unique I haven't seen anything quite like it before in the same way that like Carmen Maria Machado or Kelly Link can like take a little concept and then run with it. And you're like, how, how does your brain do that thing? Like the, how does it, how do you do that? So for example, there's a prize winning novella in here called, and then there were none slash, depending on how you read it, it could be. And then there were N minus one. And it's about a convention of all of the different Sarah Pinskers meta, uh, from across the multiverse who get together in a like isolated island hotel. And one of them is murdered. And so literally every other Sarah Pinsker in the universe is a suspect in a murder of a different self. And so like, and you're, it's a very Agatha Christie, obviously it's, you know, and then there were none uh, reference. And, you know, the, the Sarah that you're following in that story is like a, like an insurance investigator type person. And so she's not even really a detective, but she's the closest thing that they have at this moment in time. And watching you follow her trying to put together how the murder worked. There's another one that is about a woman who starts dreaming that she has a baby, even though she doesn't. And then like, it just gets obsessed with this dream. And then one day a bunch of children appear off the coast of California. And there's other people who have been having this dream too. And they're all like sitting on the beach, like trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, there's another one that includes a guy who gets a uh, arm prosthesis, like a prosthetic arm that thinks it's a road in Colorado. Like what? What? Like it's just, you're just like, what? Okay. And and if you go along with it, it's so worth it. Uh, there's a, there is like a very subtle sense of humor and, and there's a lot of heart and there are queer characters and it's very inclusive. And I just loved it so much. It's really, really, really good. So I think it definitely will fit into your other enjoyment factors in lots of ways. Um, So that's Sooner or Later, Everything Falls into the Sea by Sarah Pinsker. 
All right, our last question is from Lauren, who says, Books in translation is a long-standing hole in my reading. I was hoping for some recommendations for good audiobooks in translation. I read all over the place and don't have a specific genre in mind. I love genre fiction and nonfiction. Some recent favorites, uh, recent favorite listens are Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, Stiff by Mary Roach, Circe by Madeline Miller, and Strange Practice by Vivian Shaw. A queer angle is a huge plus, but not required. Okay, I am rectifying a mistake from several shows ago where I don't remember what question it was, but the obvious answer was my brilliant friend. Oh, yeah. Adult series is adult series. Yes, adult series. Like, oh, gosh, my cannot believe I, I, it does not matter, but it like matters. It does, makes no sense. Anyway, I'm recommending my brilliant friend. I'm recommending my brilliant friend. It's by Elena Ferrante, translated by Anne Goldstein. Uh, it's a four book series. They're all available on audio and also an HBO show, which I haven't watched, but I'm going to get around to it. So this is a kind of, this is historical fiction. It takes place in Italy and it's about two girls, two girls, Elena and Lila, Lila, I'm going to say Lila, um, who grow up in poverty in a neighborhood in the early 1900s. Um, and it's just like the story of their friendship from, I think they're seven when they first meet up until when they're elderly, you know, and grandmothers. Um, and you're hearing the story from the perspective of Elena, who is super smart. Um, and Lila is her neighbor and her, who becomes her best friend, who is smarter, but she's also beautiful. So it, this, like, Elena's watching her, they become a bit like rivals a little in school. Um, and then Elena realizes that, like, Lila's not going to be able to finish school because she is, she's, poor she's more poor than elena's family um and so she has to you know get married and they, they both marry very young this is the early 1900s in italy there's a lot of domestic violence and also you know just like the grind of growing up poor in a really tight-knit closed off neighborhood and community where like everyone knows everyone's business so you get a lot of neighborhood gossip um and you're following a whole cast of characters as they grow up uh in and try to some of well some of them not all of them try to escape this neighborhood make something of themselves but the main focus of the book is these two women and their friendship which is until you read the book you real I mean maybe you knew this already but until I read my brilliant friend I I didn't realize how much of a hole that is in literary fiction that just like tales of female friendship you know like western literature is founded on bromance like the odyssey and the iliad are especially the Odyssey, or, or the Iliad, rather, are bromances. And that is what our, like, we are designed as Western readers to, like, gravitate toward that story. But there are so few the stories that, like, take female friendship seriously and are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages about one relationship between two women. So loved it, loved it. It, it deserves all the acclaim that it's gotten. So that's My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. I have another historical fiction, my accidental theme. I was thinking about <laughs> your love for Fingersmith by Sarah Waters and Circe by Madeline Miller, and I came up with We the Drowned by Karsten Jensen, Jensen, not Jensen, which has been translated. Apparently, it has three translators, Charlotte Barsland, Liz Jensen, and Emma Ryder. And it is a Scandinavian epic drama. It takes place in the mid-1800s, and it's about a crew of Danish sailors who go from this tiny island town to fight the Germans, and not all of them return. And one of them is a daredevil named Lars Madsen, who just sort of continues to escape into the anonymity of the high seas. Um, and his son, Albert, 
decides when he's old enough, he's going to go search for his missing father on this voyage that's going to take him, you know, basically around the world. And he is like goes from like Newfoundland to Samoa to Tasmania and Russia and like all of over the place. And the book itself spans four generations and like both world wars. It's a 100 years of storytelling. So it's this big juicy epic saga thing um and i read it oh, oh it's been a while it came out in 2006 so you'll forgive me if i don't remember the exact details but it's got just like it is very you know speaking of the odyssey it is that kind of journey around the world um but like the scandinavian version which i think is super interesting and it is available on audio so i thought that might be a good option for you there's also a post on the site that i'm going to leave a link to in the show notes uh, for specifically for audiobooks and translation recommendations. So there's more where that came from. And so again, that is We the Drowned by Karsten Jensen. And that's our show. Wahoo! We did it! <laughs> Minimal struggles. All right. Thank you all for listening. As always, if you get a chance to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And here's where you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL. It's Jen with two N's. And then I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. 